Hi, everybody. It's the Alex Cast, sort of. Uh, tonight we have kind of an interesting show for you. Our uh, repeated guest, uh, Steph Quick, has an idea. She wants to talk to uh, repeat guest Dr. Wham about, or Professor Wham, or you've got a lot of names, <laughs> uh, about some stuff. I'm not going to be here. I'm basically just going to be moderating. I'll pitch in some witty rejoinders, maybe. Who knows? So I'm going to hand it over to Steph. Steph, say some stuff. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to start out. I wrote a little bit of an introduction, but it's not too long. So, um, But basically, a few months ago, it was back in October, I had a, uh online conversation with Marco Acevedo. And he uh, was interested, we were talking about the pros and cons of studying with spiritual teachers in a, like a formal context, um, in particular traditions, but, you know, going and, and receiving teachings from a person. Um, and so we were just talking about there's a lot of pitfalls to that, which people are, I think, more aware of these days than they were, like, let's say, back in the 70s when uh, I was young. Um, but the thing is, is that, you can learn a lot of things and you can learn really quickly by studying with other people, by studying uh, with other people as teachers. Um, so I just thought it would be nice to have a conversation, especially with uh, Wham, because she has a lot more experience than I in uh, studying in spiritual groups about, you know, how can we interact responsibly and lovingly with other people, including our teachers, um, and while also furthering our own uh, spiritual growth and esoteric knowledge, and kind of what are the responsibilities of um, students and the responsibilities of teachers. So I had written a blog piece about this called Thoughts on Spiritual Friendship, and so, um, yeah, so today Alex agreed to host us and kind of be the proxy of the uh, man on the street, as it were, or the dude on the street, and then uh, <laughs> as Wham and I. The dude on the street. Yes. <laughs> so thank you guys both. And then first of all, um, so I put uh, the title of my blog post being Thoughts on Spiritual Friendship. Now, the that's one of the English translations of the word guru. Um, but this can mean really in this context that we're going to be talking about, I'd, I'd like it to be, you know, it could be like a yoga teacher, it could be a coven priestess, a Bible study leader, a meditation teacher, um, you know, or a rabbi teaching you about the Kabbalah, all different type of things. Um, and Wham, I don't know if you have anything else you would like to say about the different type of people that can kind of take this type of role. Uh, well, you know, they can... You could, they can be people that are in spiritual tr traditions that can take that role. I, in my experience, though, th there have also been other individuals that took that role or have taken that role with me or I've taken that role with them rather inadvertently. Like, for example... Um, I, I, I spent, I actually began my spiritual searching in AA. Ah. So, um, you know, there, a lot of the dynamics that you sometimes find uh, in spiritual groups or mystical groups, you find a lot of those dynamics in, in AA groups as well, you know, or 12-step groups generally, or self-help groups. You know, um, or, or, um, and I've even had 
I mean, I guess maybe all my life I've I've tended to have really on occasion, not all the time, but on occasion I've I have had really intense relationships, like friendships, usually with women, um, but at various times in my life, very intense that that were at least from my perspective, were platonic. They weren't always necessarily, I found out later from the other perspective, but from my perspective, they were. But they they often had a kind of spiritual quality to them. Um, and some of the same kinds of interesting issues about power and negotiation and identity and those kinds of things came up in them. Uh, and also it's just spiritual, you know, I think sometimes you can people connect with others and and you just kind of you know learn a series of lessons from them um, or or have a series of disasters with them whichever <laughs> whichever you know is is more appropriate at the time but um, um, so yeah I mean I I think that when we think of spiritual teachers we tend to think of them in these more formal settings but but I think sometimes this can also be applicable. Oh, well, even, um, I think even in any teacher-student circumstance, I mean, I, I have certainly had some interesting and have observed some interesting and kind of um, spiritually tinged or at least really intense relationships between, say, professors and students um, yeah. in an academic setting. And so, I, you know, I think that, I think these... If you're a spiritually minded person, you you might find these relationships in a number of different places. So, you know. No, I really appreciate you opening uh, this up the way you have right now because I tried to address that in my article as well, which is that you're looking at the quality of the relationship. And like you're saying, if you're a spiritually oriented person, if you are wanting to be uh, moving forward on your path that way and learning, um. There tends to be, well, especially when I was growing up, it was like kind of a romantic idea of the the guru and kind of everything else is mundane. And then you kind of like fall in love and have this huge head over heels experience with this guru who just kind of lights you up and, and wakes everything up and blows your mind. But the fact is that I believe for the great bulk of people in a more prudent path is to realize that, as you say, if you are, if this is important to you as an individual, then you need to carry this through your life and all of your relationships, you need to be uh, looking at them through the lens of how is this developing me spiritually? How am I treating this other person as I would, uh, you know, a, a reverend, uh, a revered teacher on my path? Because um, it doesn't have to be just like avoiding all the BS that's definitely out there and the power struggles and stuff, but uh, honoring the fact that, you know, you can learn incredible things about life and leading the spiritual life from, for you know, like your next door neighbor who volunteers driving people to the doctor or whatever, right? Right, um, right. So, right. so I, I like that you open that up because I think um, it's good to be aware that you're looking for... Uh, relationship and what you can learn and how you can make yourself as an individual uh, a, a better uh, um, student in a way, no matter where where or who the teacher is, formal or informal. So, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Um, but, and to get it out of the way, I mean, there's, 
a lot of uh, pretty obvious manipulation and abuse that can happen in these type of settings. Because as you're saying, there tends to be these big power differentials, especially in groups, some of which is, is somewhat warranted that, you know, someone who knows a lot more and has, you know, tons of decades of experience is going to have a little certain more gravitas. But um, there, I mean, there's no reason to tolerate any of that type of stuff. People will tend to, uh, to try and gloss it over as being part of the path. Um, but, you know, if there is any type of physical abuse or belittling people, uh, a lot of in-group and out-group stuff, um, making unwarranted demands of money or time or labor, um, people, you know, hitting on uh, you sexually, you know, all this type of stuff, you know, is wrong. And, in my estimation, people should not feel obligated to cover up any of this or keep it to themselves. I mean, if you don't want to get into the drama or go up against a big organization, it's completely understandable. But I, I, uh, let's say, there's a difference to me between like privacy, you know, if you're going through some spiritual stuff or you're having private discussions with your spiritual mentor, that's one thing about your own stuff. But if there is um, abuse or they're trying to skim money off the top or doing skeevy things in an organization, to me, there's no obligation for anyone to keep that type of thing secret. No, well, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, oh, and, 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 and I, I think I mentioned this, but I also therapeutic settings, you know, like with mm-hmm, psychologists, mm-hmm. Or, psychologists or psychiatrists or therapists or counselors. Uh, I think that, you know, I was really fortunate when I got started on my spiritual path because I, um, you know, I, I mentioned that I had started in AA and but at the same time that I was doing AA, I also was really fortunate in that I had access to a a really good psychologist. You know, it's really hard to find good therapists in my experience. I, I, I know that this will sound incredibly arrogant to some people, but I'm frankly smarter than most of them. And so for a person to be a good therapist to me, they have to be able to surprise me, <laughs> you know, and they have to be they have to be smarter than me, or at least as smart, you know, clever in a sense. Yep. And so um, I was fortunate in that I f- I found a therapist, and and not only that, it was at a free clinic because I was really poor, you know. Oh wow! Yeah. No, that's and, awesome. And, and so I was really fortunate, and she helped me a lot because. I think it's really common when a person is beginning their spiritual search and they're kind of damaged, you know, and they're trying to figure out like what to do and where to go. You know, you're right pickings for people that want to pull you in and promise you things and, and, and do, you know, and and exploit you in some ways. Um, And uh, she because I think that it's really normal if, if, if you find someone that seems to listen to you and, under, and seems to understand or accept you, you know, provide, creates a, a space for you to be yourself uh, where you feel like, you know, um, you're seen and you're, and you're accepted and you're even loved, you know, in, in a kind of, in a kind of abstract way, you know what I mean? A, a appreciated. Yeah. 
I think that it's really, really common for people who are really desperate and really needing some direction or healing. To you, it's really common for the do you, and it's normal to glom onto that person. You know, I mean, in psychology, they call it tr- or psychiatry, they call it transference. I was going to say exactly, yeah, transference. And and I think it, yeah. it's normal. It's normal uh, to do that with your guru or whatever. You know, it's normal to do that with your Sufi teacher, um, and. In fact, in Sufism, it's called uh, it's called something. It's called uh, fana fana el sheikh, which means that you allow the sheikh or you allow the teacher to become kind of the focus of your attention. And it's and it's and and it's understood to be an idealization of the teacher. Not you know, in other words, the placeholder that the teacher sits in, not the person, not the human. You know, no, this is an excellent. This is an excellent and extraordinarily important point, which is you are working things out through, as you say, your idealized uh, version of the teacher. So, and they are holding that space for you, which is why it's important to, especially like you're saying, um, if you are first starting out, or if you have some issues, uh, you know, with trauma, that people who should have treated you well, like in your family, betrayed your trust, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. It can be right. very important to to you know check these people out beforehand so that if you end up experiencing the transference or or this uh, guru yoga, um, that this person won't be abusing you that way because it's a very sacred relationship um, and it could be very powerful and very healing. But it, the person that you choose to idealize has to hold up their end of the bargain. Right, and and in fact, the word fana is means annihilation. In other words, you're you're you're, and it's and it's the sense of, uh, it's the sense of al- allowing. Um, well, what ha- I'll just say what happened with me and my therapist. Um, sh- um, in fact, I, I never, I will never forget her. Her name was Terry. I still owe her fifty bucks. If I ever oh. her, I will give her fifty bucks. Um, but um, she, uh, um, she was able to handle all of the emotional stuff that came out of me. You know, I had anger and I had fear and I had rage and I had. You know, because I I didn't even have a language for I mean I'd come off the streets I didn't even have a language for my for my emotions yeah. and she was really really good with boundaries and yet caring and and taking me through very, I mean she was just masterful you know some people just do it really well she was in her internship so I was like one of her wow, <laughs> I was yeah. like one of her guinea pig uh, uh, clients but she was extraordinary. And, and um, what ended up happening there is this, and this is what is supposed to happen, mm-hmm. is you realize that if, if a person does this correctly, if a teacher does this correctly, whoever, what you realize is that you, you begin to care enough about yourself because they care about you. You begin to care enough about yourself that you realize that you're worth saving. Yeah. And 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 so that's what happened with me, you know, and 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 that may not sound like very much, you know, because some people think that, you know, the spiritual path is about becoming enlightened and becoming peaceful. And it's like, and that's just bullshit. I'm sorry. That's just crap. crap. Okay, you know, even people who who have very good lives and are still spiritually driven and they go out and, you know, when when and they will tell you, you know, 
when they go and they do their meditation or their visposnia, whatever or whatever, what do they find? They find a bucket of crap because that's that's what our, your defense mechanisms create is a bucket of crap. You know, it's it's either it's either you know complete arrogance or you know or you just feel like you're not even you're not even worth getting up in the morning. You know, one of those two. So, you know, e- either one is is a bucket of crap. So. You know, it, it, it's, it, you don't have to come from the place I came from to feel that way. But, but finding, finding, that, finding that realization that you are, that who you are is worth it, uh, worth the effort. Um, because I didn't get that from my family at all. You know, I didn't get the, I didn't get that kind of attention from my family. My father was abusive. My mother was clueless. I mean, she was not a bad person. She was just clueless. And so you know, I didn't, I was neglected and abused. <laughs> so what do you do, you know? So that was, that, that realization was really incredibly important. I think it was more important than the AA, actually. All the AA was, was sort of, a, it was, a, it was the, it provided me the ability to sort of reconstruct the external aspects of my life. You know what yes. I mean? You know, learn how to, rent an apartment and wash my clothes and, and, and go to work, you know, that kind of stuff, which, you know, if you're out on the street and you've been drinking and you, you forget how to, if you're on drugs, you forget how to do all those things. Well, that's, so, that's the thing too, is that, um, that's another thing I wanted to emphasize a couple of points that you're talking about here, which is first that, um, they're, there can be a, and I understand it because that all I wanted in this life from, from all from the beginning that I can remember, which is even before I was born, all I wanted was to find out what the heck is going on, what is the truth, what is you know I'm just very spiritually driven my entire life. That's my main motivation. So you get people that go that way, and so they neglect all the stuff, the, the other stuff of life, right? You kind of forget, you know, your house and the rent and everything. And people will, will kind of, in, in certain circles, indulge that as, oh, they're so spiritual that they're above all that. No, you're, no one's above that. <laughs> and so if you want to hold that and you want to truly advance, you need to have that foundation of, you know, the normal stuff. And I would never... This is another thing, too. People say, oh, it's so, uh, you know, this person can meditate for eight hours and then not even move a muscle. I mean, that's great, but it's not any more important or any better than anyone who is, like you're saying, you know, getting shit together on the material plane and, like, managing their money, eating healthy, and getting some exercise because you need that foundation to move forward. Someone, um, like you said, having enough of a stability so that you can have the realization so that you can get to that therapist appointment and have that experience with someone where you realize yeah hey i'm worth it to take care of that is a massive spiritual thing and i think sometimes people kind of um neglect that as part of the spiritual path at least in now i come from uh northern california marin and berkeley (laughs) in the 70s and 80s and 90s do you have a lot of flaky people? <laughs> it sounds terrible. But a lot of people that's like, they will really look down their nose at someone who is, you know, just like, you know, working their path of like, you know, trying to get sober or whatever. And to me, that is an incredibly powerful spiritual uh, path. And I think part of the thing with AA too is that, you know, the, uh, I don't want to say um, the, uh, 
material aspect of things, which is very important. But then also, it is uh, a little bit more uh, non-hierarchical and um, spread out. So you're not just like uh, dependent so much on like one particular group with one particular teacher, which can happen. That people, yeah. yeah. Well, well, if you're doing AA right, I mean, yeah. <laughs> people who yeah, don't yeah, AA yeah, right, always, you know, yeah. either, but, you know, if you're doing AA right, and I tended, I, I guess I was, you know, I'm one of these people that once I really get into something, I just like do it full bore, just, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and so, you know, I, I did AA full bore and I was doing therapy. And then after about th- two years in AA, I, I wanted to learn how to meditate. So I started going to the Shambhala Center, uh, which uh, in Kansas City uh, was well. Now it's called the Re- now it's housed at the Remay Center, but it was uh, it was sort of an outreach group that had been f- um, started by one of Chogam Trungpa Rinpoche, you know, at Naropa Institute, one of his okay, yeah. uh, one of his one of his proteges, basically, mm-hmm. kind of lived in Kansas City and so traveled back and forth from Kansas City to Boulder. And so, you know, I, I, cause this is, this was the way I, this is the way I thought, well, I want to learn how to meditate. I know that Buddhists have been doing this for about 2,500 years, so they must know something. So I, <laughs> I will go and learn how to, of course I pick, what do I pick? I pick Tibetan medita- meditation, not Zen, which, you know, <laughs> so, um, but, but, you know, that's okay, you know, whatever. Okay, and, I'm going to tell for in case people are that we're, we're cracking up because the Tibetan a Buddhist meditation can become involve these very complex visualizations. Complicated, but 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 you know, and so and there were there were some people there that you know that attended some of the seminars I went to, and you know I would go to all of these different gr- groups and these events, and you know I, I they would throw empowerments at me, you know, and I didn't even know what they were talking about. It wasn't until much later that I realized when when the stuff about the empowerment started coming back to me. In other words, yes. you know, like I would wake up in the middle of the night, and like one of the things, one of the entities that I had been empowered with thirty years before suddenly showed up. You know, mm-hmm. yes, like, oh, I guess that's what that is, you know. But, you know, at the time I was paying no attention whatsoever. Um, but, and there were some people there in my group, in those groups that were kind of woo-woo. I guess that's what you're talking about is woo-woo people. But I've always been, I always sort of hung out with the people that weren't. You know, and Buddhism, you know, if you belong, anybody that knows, if you belong to, like, one of these communities, hardcore, like a, a intense Buddhist community or something like this, you're expected to give service. You're expected to do stuff. You're expected to, to, to help feed the community. You know what I mean? Um, yep. There are always some hangers on, but you're not really considered to be a serious seeker unless you actually kind of get down and dirty with it. And that's, that's the Songha or community part of established traditions. You know, all, all established traditions that come out of religious traditions, they have that component that, that service component, you know, um, and AA has that service component too. You know, what what keeps you sober is that you give it away. You know, you 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 help somebody who's in a worse condition than you. And I, I you know, to me, that is actually the more important part about any spiritual ser- service. Now that that can get you into 
some of the more um, unpleasant parts of what we were talking about before we started recording, which is because of the service orientation of spiritual seeking, someone who is an unscrupulous teacher or if there's an unscrupulous community going on, uh, they will they will often posit uh, the abuse in the guise of service. Yes. And so um, what they will do is actually use the tools of the trade to um, to mess with people. Um, and I mean, I I did go through this experience too. I got caught in a small cult myself at a certain point in my search. And it was, and it was a small cult. It was a, it was, it was a cult of maybe thirty people. Mm-hmm. Okay, it wasn't very large. I mean, that was like sort of everyone that was involved in it, both in you know at the close level and at the periphery, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it was damaging enough. So, how long were you involved with this group, and when did you? What were the things that tipped you off that things were getting crazy? Um, let's see. Um, well, I met this, I met these people. First of all, I was also doing the Renaissance Festival circuit, okay, mm-hmm. at yeah. this time. It's part of how I made my living at the time. Um, this is in the 80s, the early to mid 80s. And, um, you know, I was an entertainer. And so I, I would I and and I didn't do the whole circuit. I just did a partial circuit, more like in the center of the country, you know. Okay. But but um, I had met one of my first. I would call her one of my first spiritual teachers. I would think of her. I think of her as more as a spiritual friend than a spiritual mm-hmm. teacher. But she gave me my first spiritual name, and she mm-hmm. was the person who introduced me to you know neo paganism and 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 that whole sort of area um, mm-hmm. that I would become involved in later on. And, and, um, so she, at some point decided that she was going to quit going. She, she, she opened a shop in Wichita, Kansas and quit going and sort of quit going on all of the circuit stuff, you know? So she wasn't around as much and I kind of missed her. So there was a part of me that was sort of looking for, I guess yeah. another contact, another sort of replacement, and and there and it was in that context that I met this woman and her husband, and they were artisans. And this woman is a skilled artist. She's really, really incredibly good at at the physical part of what she does, you know. And at, but um, anyway, what ended up happening is. Um, how I how it started going bad was, um, I, and I can only speak for me. I, I don't know of yeah. anybody else in in the group, but she, they were she and her husband were sort of gathering this group of people. Now this is so weird. I have to tell you, this is so weird. You, you know, <laughs> you know the movie Highlander, the original movie Highlander. A little bit. Oh, no, no, no. oh, I'm I'm very familiar. There can be only one. Christopher Lambert. Yeah, yeah I'm right there with Clancy, you. With Clancy Brown, you yeah. know. The, the Kurgan. Yeah. That's the Kurgan, right? Exactly. Um, and well, and uh, it, it's it's uh, it features the songs of Queen. You know, who wants to live forever? You know, we are the champions. You know, oh, gosh, they, they yeah. actually they actually I th- those some of those songs became the soundtrack for this film. Anyway. For some reason, 
they fixated on that film because there's this whole thing in the film about the gathering. Uh, okay. And so they started saying that we were the gathering. Now, of course, in my, I, if I was thinking correctly, I, I should have been thinking, okay, whose heads are going to get chopped off. But anyway, <laughs> you know, that, that, that we were part of the gathering and, and, um, and she started having these, these she was she would do this trance work where she would go back and she would like read the akashic records or whatever mm. um and it started going bad for me or i mean i i this should have been a red flag okay for me when um as part of what we were doing we were supposed to like all be learning specific kinds of skills and then sort of bringing them to the group right Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I had, I, this, it was during this process, you know, my, the previous friend that I mentioned who, who I had known, uh, or I, who I knew that had given me my first spiritual name through her, I first had made contact with the runes and, uh, and it was, and it was through her that I made contact with my first rune teacher. And, and that proved to be a very important spiritual connection for me which I continue to this present day in ways that I don't you know I mean I can talk about that later at some other time but um, what had started happening was kind of what I now know was a kind of physical initiation for me through this process uh, of working with these energies from this system that seemed to be coming from my ancestors so I felt like I had some stuff to offer to the group you know what I mean Mm-hmm. And so I did offer some, you know, I mean, not not in an overweening way, you know, just like with everybody else. And at some point, you know, subsequent to that process, um, she called me into her like little office space. I'd gone over to visit their at the ho- their house, which was a perpetual wreck. And, uh, you know, in, in a way that I in a manner that I now realize is sort of a sign of something. <laughs> you know, what I mean, <laughs> I mean, my house is kind of a wreck, too, but everything still has its place, you know. Anyway, um, mm. and I had gone up into her office, and she proceeded to tell me that the Akashic Records had, had revealed to her that that in a past life in Atlantis, that I had been, the, that I had been her nemesis. Oh, good God. Oh, and, that, and, that, and, and that I had, uh, that I had, that, that I had been responsible for the for part of the collapse of Atlantean civilization, but it was done in a particular way. You know what I mean? It was done in a way yeah. that was kind of dramatic and, and, and you know, and like and you have this whole exciting connection, and there's yeah, yeah, and 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 it was and it was kind of. I mean, now I recognize that it was her way of putting all of my stuff down and just sort of shutting it off. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? When what I actually needed was just someone to say, well, if they actually knew about it, someone to say, well, you know, you could do this with this and this with this. And, you know, that was the beginning. It was like um, in the process of, I mean, I eventually sort of became, I, I removed myself and became more on the periphery of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I remained connected was because I did have some good friends that were still in it yeah. and more connected. And I kind of wanted to stay connected to them. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, and they just went through people. 
They stole thousands of dollars from people. Oh I never yep. gave them money, but mm -hmm. they stole thousands of dollars from people that they never paid back. Uh, they stole ideas from me. Mm. In fact, they stole ideas from me, plagiarized ideas from me that ended up in one of her books. Mm. You know, so it's like, you know, it was, you know, and to this day, she just acts like, I mean, I still know where she is. Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those situations where, you know, there are times when I choose to remain connected to certain kinds of people on the periphery because, you know, it's that cult thing, keep, keep you know, kind of keep track of what your adversaries are doing or people yeah, like uh, keep your friends close but keep your enemies closer <laughs> yeah or you know just keep track of where they are you know what yeah, they're doing yeah. you know um but it but it was like um it was uh it, it really it really jacked me up because she then one of the things that she did was attempted to manipulate some sexual relationships that I was in and and that some other people were in and that that just screwed all kinds of stuff up you know and it was all done in the name of tantra and yep bs you know and all that yeah stuff. i so first of all i want to i want to ask you something but i want to make a couple of observations first of all you noticed that she didn't say that when she was trying to mind fuck you she didn't say oh, you were just some random slob, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you were the nemesis. You're responsible. Yes. So it's just like appealing to your ego at the same time as she's putting you down. Exactly. It's, it's like super manipulative. Um, and then uh, as far as like the sexual stuff, I think that that is pretty common. Even I had a person that was doing that type of stuff. They were actually an, an art teacher, an old friend of our family. And uh, this was something that they just enjoyed doing, including manipulating their own um, children. It was just some of the skeeviest things that I've ever run across. Um, but people do that. And um, that's why I have my, my uh, blog post on my rules for uh, sex magic with others, which is, you know, basically never feel obligated to have any type of sexual contact with anyone anywhere. And if someone is trying to pressure you into that, you know, just cut ties. It's just, it's just disgusting. Anyone who's actually has any respect for the force that is sex and the erotic is, is not going to do that to you. And that's just run. run. Right. No, right. Well, and what was weird about it was that, you know, I didn't, what she was actually, she was being very kind of um, under, um, underhanded about it. Mm -hmm. She wasn't manipulating me directly. Yep. She was manipulating a different person. Th she, she was manipulating me through a different person. Yes. A third yes. person. And, and so it was difficult for me to tell uh, at the time because you know, I, honestly, I had a lot of sexual, I've had a lot of sexual issues in my life because of what happened to me when I was, yeah. you know, sexually assaulted as a four-year-old by my father. Yeah. So, you know, I, it, sex has always been kind of fraught for me. It's been, it's, it's really taken me until literally the last two or three years of my life to, to begin the, the deep process of healing all of that. So, uh, you know, I've, I've, I have struggled personally with um, unhealthy attachments to teachers, even though I've had some really good teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had, I'm the one that's had the unhealthy attachment. And so I've had to learn uh, over time to, to, really, to really deal with that and work with that. 
um, because, you know, there is a lot, there is an, as you know, there is an eroticism that is connected to spiritual development that is perfectly normal. That is simply the the body mind's response to heightened spiritual states, and then when it and then when it your it, your body's translating it, it it it's it's erotic. It's not necessarily sexual, but it's erotic, um, or it doesn't have to become sexual. And um, but that's really confusing in our culture. You know, our culture doesn't really permit that kind of distinction very clearly, and especially for women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, we're we're told that we're like I said before we started recording. We're told that we're supposed to be sort of this a vessel for that. That we're supposed to give ourselves up to that, and and uh, kind of erase ourselves. And and but yet in a, in the spiritual search, you you can't give yourself to spirituality without having a self to start with. That's just sort of. You know, so it's it creates these really weird, screwed up dynamics. You know, at least for me, it did. But I see no. that in other women a lot. No, it's very. I mean, it is very common. And I uh, I actually had a, another conversation with a podcaster about uh, misogyny in the para weird. And the, the thing is, is that there are a lot of women. There's a lot of people that have had uh, you know traumatic sexual assault sexual experiences as children or older and the 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 fact is that when you're around people in a group and working with the in these situations where it's going to be bringing up uh shadow material uh erotic feelings these blissed out states you know you're just kind of stirring things up and heightening things up it's important to um respect other people's space their privacy and give them room because you don't know, you know, who has a traumatic experience that this could be stirring things up for them. You know, if some if someone seems to be acting a little off, I mean, they could be an asshole or it could be that, the, you know, this has touched a, a nerve or something really uh, uh, very difficult for them. So that's another reason why I think it's um, good to, you know, one of the things I try and emphasize is to, to, to keep track of yourself, um, to be responsible for your your own spiritual development, and to you know if you to be learning from other people, you can be learning with other people, but to also um, make sure that you are to the best of your ability, um, you know, doing your own homework, and then also, and I'm wondering about this when you were involved with the cult. One of the things that I uh, try to recommend and that I have tried to practice when I am working in groups with other people is that, you know, I'm fortunate. I have a, a great family. I'm close with them. I have friends. I have hobbies and my hobby friends. I have my uh, walking that I like to do. And I I want to keep all that going. It's like they say, because um, it's kind of similar to what you're talking about with women and the whole idea that... Um, you know, they, this is less popular these days, which is good. But the whole idea that, you know, a woman is just waiting until she gets this perfect romance and then she'll throw all her friends and her uh, career and hobbies and everything away so that she can go basically, you know, just live this guy's life. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm wondering when you were involved with that cult, if you had, because um, you said you were missing your one friend, but then I'm wondering, did you feel like you were able to maintain that kind of outside uh, kind of network at that time or? 
Well, I was still in AA, so and I was still in some other groups. And I mm. still had my friend in Wichita, so I would go and see her periodically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did have some connections. I, I will say that during the time of my... Um, of of my absorption in this group, a lot of that stuff diminished. Mm. Uh, I, I I did cut some people off. Um, the the one thing that I will say is that is that there is I have you know how people talk. I don't know if this is true or not. I don't think it's like external to myself, but. You know how some people talk about, um, or some spiritual groups talk about how before you come into this world, how you sort of made a contract, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, I don't really think of it that way. I just think it think of it as things like I, a way I chose to be, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but whatever contract I chose to be, I, I have what I call an instant karma clause in there <laughs> somewhere. Because what, what, I, what I do is when... Uh, or what I've done in the past is when I get, when the tension in a situation like that becomes too severe, mm-hmm. um, what what would happen is that I would have some tremendous crisis, oh. usually a physical crisis, like an accident. Like I almost, I had an accident where I almost got killed, um, where that that injured me really badly. Um, that and and it was and it's that those that was that would be like the that was like the beginning of me getting away from that. that yeah, it's like it, nothing else is working, so that you're uh, you're. So I'm, going to, I'm going to almost kill myself <laughs> before I could get out. Because I'm too stubborn to. Yeah. <laughs> but what was interesting about it was that. As a result of that experience, that of the injury, because I was I was basically bed bound for like two, almost two weeks because oh, wow. I was so, I had injured myself so severely, and um, I um, as and so you know I was just laying there. It was a head injury, so I was just laying there, and as I was healing, I I had a, a, a series of experiences which some people would say, oh well, but you were healing from a head injury. Well, yeah, I know, but these experiences later on had effects in the physical world, you know, like I was given information like from the past, which I was able to verify, (laughs) you know, that that other people that wasn't known at the time, you know, stuff like that. I had the, I I had had a weird series of paranormal experiences, I guess is the, is the only way I can talk about it. And, uh, and that was the, the beginning of the process that allowed me to, to extricate myself from those people. It was kind of like, I ha- it, was, I, it was only after I gave myself this, it was my way of saying no, yeah. uh, you know. And um, I w- in fact, I was just thinking about this, this the, I've just been thinking about this in the last few days, um, realizing that... Um, the only time I have ever had major conflicts with people like authority figures or, um, you know, anything like that, you know, where, where either I've had a crisis or I've, or, or I've, I've had trouble with, you know, like at a job or in a relationship or whatever. The only time is when I've said no, when I have tried to establish a boundary and then all hell breaks loose. It's like I either, punish myself or, or you know or something it's just bizarre it's like 
and it's gotten better as I've gotten older, believe me. It's gotten much more better than it used to be. I used to, like, I would do things like I would get so upset and I'd fling myself down the stairs, you know, or some stupid thing like that. I, can't, I mean, I've, I have broken, I've broken so many bones. I've had six concussions, you know. I've done these terrible things to my body um, as, as an expression of my, my need to extricate myself from stuff, you know, and... Uh, and I think I can trace it all the way back to the, you know, the physical assault that I had because I was physically, because I was physically assaulted by my father because I said no. Exactly. I mean, and that, that shows the, the, I mean, just what can you say is just, it's terrible. I just like why people are against, you know, assaulting other people that this is why, because especially when it happens when you're so young, it, it creates these patterns all through your system that are just incredibly difficult to overcome. So, but yeah. you have to see them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so, so yes. I got away from them and that's, and I've never done that again. <laughs> Good. Yay. Never, never again. Never again. Well, another no thing I wanted to, to talk about, which is kind of your, uh, I'm using your uh, experience with these people as an uh, example here. But um, one of the things that I wanted to address as well is you start getting into these groups and um, people, you know, even if beforehand, especially if beforehand you think all the stuff about people having paranormal powers and stuff is bullshit, then you get in these groups and you find out, oh, yeah, if someone's been meditating for 30 years and really studying this, all this stuff, they can pull some things off that will kind of blow your mind. But, or, you know, you also have people that, you know, they've gotten very slick at manipulating people into thinking that these things are happening. So when you were talking about, and I thought this was a great example, because just because someone can go into a trance and read the Akashic records and do all this hoo-ha, as we have seen in your example, it does not mean that they have any moral authority or that they uh, are a rational, clear thinker, that they have any special grasp of underlying uh, spiritual truths or principles, right? You know, well, right. Well, and because they can just be dissociating. I mean, it's like, Thank you. So, so, so that just brings up the whole issue of how do you know when, when it's true? Mm-hmm. Just and, because someone can can like let's say literally read your mind or show up in your dream and get a clear message to you or perform PK, there's all these different type of cities. They can make orbs appear. Uh, they can appear as an astral double in the room, so you see their apparition. I mean, these are things that can happen with legitimate, uh, truly advanced you know, compassionate people, but it can also be, you know, people that, you know, have a real uh, skeevy grasp of ethics can develop. Right. Well, and I was, like I said, I think, I do think that the, 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 the individuals, one of whom has passed, by the way, gave himself a, a blindingly effective brain tumor. He did. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, um, and I mean that with some, I mean that with irony, not sarcasm. Um, but cause he was actually the less manipulative of the two, you know? Um, yeah. but, um, he, um, they, you know, they had some, they had some juice, you know, they yeah. had some mojo and, you know, she had, she had practiced for the silver mind control for years Mm-hmm. And she had she she so she did have certain mental disciplines, yeah. And but they were all geared towards 
Um, and they were all geared towards controlling external circumstances and people so that she could gain the kind of material possessions that she wanted. Um, You know, and have that kind of a support there. Uh, And so, you know, and she went through, she went through lovers to get this. She went through Mm -hmm. husbands to get this. You know, and finally she's hooked up with some dude down wherever she's at. And I I hope that they're two peas in a pod, you know, whatever that means, you know. Um, (laughs) You know, it's as long as it's not spilling over onto me. But, um, but, and she's a very talented artist, you know, I don't, I don't, I mean, her, her, her gifts in that regard are genuine. Uh, it's, that's what makes it difficult is that, you know, someone can be genuinely gifted and, and, and yet still have these egoistic fixations. I mean, I can tell you the difference, Mm -hmm. uh, when I, what brought me to Sufism, um, is that, um, when I had my first session of Darshan with Moinadine, uh, the peer who, uh, who gave me my first initiation, um, it was a completely different experience. And he, in the first place, I had hemmed and hawed and had been a complete total butthead and had come late. And so had made everybody else late because for some reason I was really, I was really hesitant, probably because of my experiences. I was really mm-hmm. hesitant to subject myself to this darshan because darshan is an incredibly intimate uh, um, practice. Can you describe it a little bit? Yeah, it's 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 very simple. It, it's it's um, well, it's actually out of the Hindu tradition, but Buddhists and Sufis use it too. And basically, you just sit you sit across from each other, fairly close not touching, but across from each other, and you just gaze at each other's third eye for an extended period of time without thinking about anything. And Although he can, the teacher will often provide a, a meditation or something to think on, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and um, Moinadine was sort of known, I was warned that he was very perceptive and the whole point of what they do is that then they they give you a teaching or they give you they do something you know they're supposed to if they're gifted they'll be able to see something they'll get something you know what I mean and so he 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 sat there and first of all it blew my mind because we were going to meditate on uh, on something about Lord Shiva which was weird because Lord Shiva was apparently unusual for him Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and Lord and Lord Shiva was actually my first non-Christian sort of attention. You know what I mean? Oh. It was he had come to me as I was leaving Christianity, and uh, very spontaneously in high school, he just sh- mm-hmm. showed up, and I was like. I, and I knew that there was some dude who was blue who had lots of arms, but I didn't know who it was. So I had to go, like, look him up, you know? And I was like, oh, that's who you are. Anyway, so that kind of blew my mind. Um, but then we did it, and then he proceeded, while we were still doing it, he proceeded to tell me this story, mm-hmm. which I can only remember the, you know, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but it was but it was a story that touched on my paranormal stuff and my UFO stuff and my and my sense of feeling of being an alien in the world and 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 what the past 
kind of not Akashic history, but actual spiritual history of that was. And I mean, it blew my mind. It was like, how in the hell does this person know that mm-hmm. these things, I've never even told anybody some of this stuff that he was telling me but he was very gentle and he was very kind and at the end of it he said he said he uh, he said what your what your purpose in life is your purpose in life is twofold regardless of what occurs regardless of what has occurred regardless of your entire past you know you have a twofold purpose one is to learn how to open your heart in love but not in a submissive way but open your heart in active love which for snoopies means something very specific and the other was is is he said to forgive to see to see the larger picture in which all of this is because you are part of that larger picture um and that's all that you need and then he said and he said so i've initiated you now i would suggest that you go out and get a regular initiation so they can do something about it (laughs) (laughs) and so so i did and so that was it you know and and i i've been blessed to have extraordinary teachers in my group, I mean, in the groups that the Sufi groups I've been in, I've met some Sufi teachers that were not so great, but they have not been my teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, the Sufi the Sufi community has the same problems with all this crap that everybody else does. You know, um, but I've been blessed to have really extraordinary teachers who just love me. <laughs> you know, and and are willing to put up with my bizarre. <laughs> behavior <laughs> well you know well that's the thing from the side of a teacher which is if you are in a position to uh you know even give someone else advice or something that is uh, a big uh, learning opportunity too for the teacher um, exactly. so, so they should have that type of respect and a sense that um of course what you know whatever the student is going through it's not directed at them personally right no so no. yeah alex were you gonna say something or no no i'm just following along sorry <laughs> just, okay. no, I'm, that's fine. I, I thought i, I didn't want to uh step over you that way no 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 it's all it's uh you guys are doing a your delightful job oh i thank you <laughs> <laughs> a delightful job, um, but but you know it's uh, I I mean I but I thought I've often thought about that because he was he was clearly reading some I guess on some on some level what what one might call akashic records whatever the hell those are, and in other words he was reaching back and I've since found out that the but the specific things he was telling me are actually part of a sufi narrative a sufi lore about mm-hmm. certain souls coming to earth from another place mm-hmm. and uh and so this is actually part it's, it's kind of like an, the extraterrestrial tradition in sufism it's kind of weird it's oh, a very okay. es- I didn't know this. it's a very esoteric kind of thing and and it doesn't and it isn't get doesn't get told very often because it's considered it's not written down anywhere mm-hmm. It, that I've ever found, it's passed orally from teachers to students, but only in certain circumstances if it's appropriate for that student. Yeah. And um, 
but so he was clearly sort of looking back in the same way that you know she was reading the akashic records but it was completely different it was you know it was uh i mean i was i'm still important but not like famous and terrible and tragic but i'm still important but not because i'm so important but because we all are in each our own is important yes each our own way in each our own realm in each our own endeavor you know and and so um it was and it was not manipulative uh it was not it it was just it, it it just wasn't you know i mean it was the first time i'd really encountered that and i've had all kinds of incredibly intense paranormal experiences in sufism i mean seriously intense and that's what convinced me to uh, that this was it for me you know, that's what made it stick for me. And also because of its emphasis on the heart and opening the heart and, and, its, and its focus on love. And not any kind of mamby-pamby, you know, it, it acknowledges the erotic component of love without, with, without necessarily it moving, moving it to Tantra. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't do that. It doesn't move it to Tantra. Because actually Tantra, technically, as you know, is not actually about sex. Uh, the word just simply means weaving or the woven, the woven pattern. And, uh, uh, and it's in the West that it's, you know, because sex can be part of that, mm-hmm. th- that that's what we've emphasized. But, but in the actual traditions of Hinduism and Buddhism, uh, the sexual part of Tantra is a very tiny part of what Tantra yeah. is. Yeah. And I'd like... As well that you're talking about the the opening of the heart because I um, as you guys know we were delayed in recording a little bit because um, and I've been thinking a lot about this talk the last few days especially uh, we were delayed in recording a little bit because my mom was cooking and she sliced the living fuck out of her finger and it was bleeding and and uh, so I was helping her with that trying to get it stopped and talking to the doctor and everything and she'll she'll be fine. Um, but I feel bad for it because this hurts. But the thing is, um, I've been trying to think how to emphasize this, which is, you know, everyone thinks about all this spirituality being the traditions and the teaching and the intellectual stuff and the, the woo-woo, uh, the freaky paranormal experiences and all this type of stuff. But in the end, to me, it has to come down to how do you treat other people? And mm-hmm. at, I was thinking, you know, for all my spiritual practices and stuff, the one thing that that I've been able to to develop more in myself is more of a level head and an ability to have something like you know poor mom has her finger and not freak out and be able to be helpful to her and you know do the practical stuff too. Um, so if you are pursuing a spiritual path, you know of course there'll be times when things become turbulent or you know. Gosh forbid you have a dark night of the soul or whatever. That's a different thing. But on the whole, any practice, any group that you're with, you should be able to, to see how you are able to uh, more effectively convey to people in your life um, that you care about them and that you respect them. Um, like you were saying, uh, when I'm talking about various groups that um, expect service, there's service that can happen to keep the group moving along. But then uh, a lot of groups, and this is a great thing to do, you know, they'll perform uh, service to the community. Mm-hmm. And so if you're wanting to study with the group, get involved with them, I would take a look at that. Okay, what are they doing to help out the community? 
Does that look like something that is uh, right? Right. Yeah, happening because yeah. that that shows that they are. Because of course that's one practice for opening the heart, but then also if you have a true spiritual grounding, in my uh, opinion, you know you'll want to try and be involved in that however you can, um, as part of just your practice of you know keep uh, I don't want to say uh, instantiating your understanding of uh, of what you're trying to learn right. If you have, you're sitting there meditating and you're just feeling all this love, that's great. It could be a lot more difficult to go and try and express this to, you know, random people in your life or, you know, your cousin that drives you crazy or whoever. <laughs> well, I mean, I personally, I mean, it sounds, I mean, love sounds great, but let me tell you, it's like really friggin' hard. It is. Sometimes. You know, I mean, um, you know, I have to. I mean, there's to me, there is nothing in the world that is more difficult than loving or forgiving certain people. And and because, you know, we're taught that these things are that like for, to forgive someone, we're taught uh, that or at least this is what I was taught because I was raised a certain kind of Christian, that if you forgive someone, that it's kind of a passive thing. You know, because the whole image is Jesus on the cross, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Well, that's about all that he could say because of what they were doing to him right then. But it's often taken to suggest that you're supposed to be a kind of a martyr like that. And that is, to me, that is not what that what that what forgiveness has been. Uh, forgiveness is a is a much more difficult thing because of how uh, it's kind of an active choice you have to always be sort of pulling back and seeing the larger frame in which something is occurring and yet at the same time maintaining a balance of not allowing yourself to uh, necessarily become a martyr because I have no interest in being a martyr the world has enough martyrs thank you you know I'm done I'm you know I'm done with this us killing each other business, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, and, and, and I, you know, I am not interested in, in being any kind of symbol for that psychologically or physically. I don't think it's useful. I don't think that it, you know, it, 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 it doesn't teach the lessons that need to be taught right now. It doesn't tell us what needs to be done right now. Killing has become too easy. So, um, I, you know, forgiveness is, so it's really a spiritual practice that is, is quite difficult. I mean, it sounds lovely, but, you know, um, learning how to love and forgive my father has been really a challenge because that doesn't mean that I'm going to go and be his friend now. Yeah. And, um, or that there's going to be some great reconciliation because there really can't be because he has dementia. There's no... Yes. There's no way to do that, um, but it. But uh, you do it for yourself. You do it so that you can, you can provide a space for other people around you to do it. You know, forgiveness is something that you give to someone. They give to you. You know, it's, it's. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, the 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 best examples that I have found of these things, and this is why I've moved sort of into this area in my life, has been in some of the indigenous traditions. That I have that I have been working in, or, or that have been working in me, 
um, you know, the, the, in the Northeastern woodland tradition, there's a, there's a, both both Algonquin and and Haudenosaunee or Iroquois. There's this uh, there's this ceremony that's called the consolation ceremony, and it's a ceremony. And, and they are they are ceremonies. They're different kinds, but they are rituals in which two and at least two individuals can be more than two individuals, but at least two individuals who are have had irreconcilable differences that are not that are not resolved. Okay. Mm-hmm come together and they and they make an agreement to not harm each other over it and to and to try to live together somehow even in it and that's extraordinary you know that that's that's not even you know in in our system those kinds of conflicts well they just have to be solved yeah you know for the winner or whatever but to 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 make a commitment that you are going to live in this conflict without harming anybody and to see where that goes to see where creatively that that energy that friction goes i think that's amazing you know i i just you know i've been so inspired by that idea it's like oh i don't necessarily have to feel good about this I can mm-hmm. just I can acknowledge that this really sucks, but it's not the whole thing. It's not the whole picture. You know, it's oh God, you know, I don't need to storm the Capitol. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I just uh, this is completely off the wall, but and I haven't actually seen the picture, so I could be talking out of turn, but I had saw a bunch of comments on a video of the guy with the Viking horns that was stormed the Capitol. Oh, 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 and oh, I, the, I guess the, at one point, yeah, the QAnon shaman. <laughs> yes, and I guess at one point he takes that uh, helmet off and he's bald, and all these people were shocked that he was bald under there. I have to say it was weird that he went by the the name Jake Angeli because uh, Alex and I were talking to. Uh, Matthew Hopewell uh, a few months ago about my obsession the past year with a friend of mine from college whose last name was Alex Angel, spelled with two L's, uh-huh. and all this kind of name game and, and, and weird stuff. Kind of He has kind of some resonances with Jack Parsons and all this stuff. But it, it was weird because when I saw that name, it's like, again, it's like Angel with that extra little letter on the end. Which was weird because I'd just been thinking so much about Alex Angel the last few months. And so this guy has come to prominence. But yeah, I'm glad that they arrested him. So. Oh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, and, and, the, and the reason that, the reason that, uh, um, the reason that I think so many po- people posted him is that he just sort of summed up the weird. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was part of all of that. You know, it's kind of like, what is what would it mean to be a QAnon shaman? You know, what is the spirituality that is part of that? You know, I mean, I, I mean, I do actually understand it in a, in a weird kind of way because conspiracy cultures are a kind of you know cults always do have conspiracies because in order for it to be a cult. It's got to be kind of insular, and, and so there's, yeah. 
yeah, you know, there's it's, there's a paranoia and there's uh, there's a sense of you against you know you you all against the world or you know I just like the, I think that that's why they use the you know in the group that I was in why they used the whole Highlander thing mm-hmm. you know because the, it was it was it was more the feeling like something apocalyptic was coming I mean if you really sat and thought about it it made no sense whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> But, like you know, but it had to do with the, the, all the dramatics do. going along. It has to have like these weird costumes and everything, so no one has time to think. This is well, another it had, it had to do. It had to do with like the feeling, the feeling of being part of something, yeah. you know. And and so when I think of these QAnon people, um, I there's a part of me that I hurt for. I hurt for them because I when I kind of. Am, pathically or whatever what the, the vibe i guess that i pick up from them is this is this painful dis- desperation of for meaning and and they are searching yeah. and they do want answers and not political answers they don't want political answers they want something they want something inside that's not being addressed and the whole idea of looking for the big flashy, like the whole idea of the storm is like, okay, we're going to have this savior come in. I mean, it's very similar, right? You have the, the guru, the savior going to come in and they're just going to like kill everyone who's bad. And then you're going to have this beautiful new beginning and you don't really have to do too much except for kind of show up and believe. And that's not how any of this works, you know? No, it isn't. It isn't. Oh. And it's, but, you know, I guess if anybody's listening to this and they're a spiritual seeker and they're serious about it, what I would say is, you know, um, it's okay to, it's okay to try a few things here and there and here and there. But the first thing that you want to ask yourself, because, you know, I, I, I was actually always pretty clear about what I wanted out of spirituality. A lot of people think that what, you know, they want out of spirituality is, you know, a better life, you know, like um, that they, that they want, you know, they, 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 they want the house and the, and, and the, and the wife or husband, or, you know, they want the partner, you know, they want, they want what we consider to be in America, the American dream. Okay. Well, you can get that without having, a spiritual path, although I don't know that you'll be able to keep it without becoming a slightly wiser person. <laughs> yeah. you know? But, but um, th- that, you know, at the end of the day, you can have all that stuff and yet still be bereft, as witnessed by most of the people, a lot of the people who were there at the Capitol last week were exactly people like that. There was a one lady who, who flew her private jet in. Exactly. She's obviously very wealthy. You know, a lot of people, like they have families and stuff, but they're still, yeah, they're still outside themselves for something. Exactly. So you can, so you can have all this stuff, you can be privileged and you can still feel like you're being deprived of something. Um, But I, all that I ever wanted, really, honestly, I just wanted, I just wanted peace. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just wanted peace and to be useful. And so maybe because I was told all my life that I was I was satanic, demonic, and useless. 
And so that's, you know, that's what I was told all my life. So I, you know, I was like, well, then why do I exist? You know, why do I, why am I alive? So in a way I was fortunate because my, my goals were, were, I don't know, maybe they're the biggest goals, but, but in my mind, they were very small because they weren't dependent on external circumstances. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, I, and this is not because I was wonderful. It was because I had, I had, I had goals beaten out of me. It was because of your life circumstances and experience. But I think, no, I think that's really wise to think about what it is that is important to you and what would your goals be. Um, Not everyone, you know, needs to go chasing after all this spiritual stuff. Um, You can give it to us uh, whack jobs out here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had people say, oh, you've had all these spiritual spiritual experiences. You know, that must be wonderful, you know. I mean, I I even have a few abilities now and then, you know. That must be wonderful. And I'm like, no, for me, it's because I'm just a stubborn butthole and have had to be slapped on the face and, <laughs> and beaten around. And, you know, it's it's because I don't pay attention, you know, to, to yeah. simple things. Because now, now, you know, I... The th- you know what I enjoy more than anything else, even in this in co- this COVIDness. You know what I enjoy more than anything else. I enjoy every evening. The cat wants us because our cat has become old, and so she now she's decided she's not so feral anymore. So she's oh. been staying inside the house. Um, she's had a few tangles with raccoons and stuff. So she's and it's cold. So you know, yeah. and she's. 14 so you know she's figured out that it's nicer to be inside but she also gets bored so every night at some point when before we i me or alan feed her dinner she we have we have to throw food at her (laughs) we take her kibble and we fling it on the ground and she pretends she's hunting it and she's so funny because she's learning how to to play with humans you know she She's lived her entire life not having to do that. Yeah. So she's having to socialize herself <laughs> and to watch a beast do that. You know, making the decision, well, I'm staying inside, so I guess I'm going to have to use the litter box. I <laughs> guess I'm going to have to learn to play with the humans. And so she comes up and she gets us to come and play with her. It, it's so funny, you know, because what you're doing is you're 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 witnessing another being who is not a human being learning how to be different than they were they're going beyond their wiring you know what yeah. i mean and it's it's really you know i i enjoy watching other beings and 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 stuff like that. I mean, just little things like that. I, I enjoy that. It sounds so stupid, but you know, maybe I'm just old and got too much gray hair. But it's <laughs> no, it's true. And I'm think I'm looking at the time, and I'm thinking that um, we should wrap up in a little bit because I can try and glue my mom's finger back together. But um, but yeah, no, I agree. I th- and I think that's something that can be incredibly wo- rewarding about all this spiritual work is that you become a lot more uh, observant and uh, you can get a lot more out of just uh, everyday experiences and something simple. Um, although I, to me, it's always a privilege to have, um, you know, other creatures let you into their life and, and to trust you. Uh, to me, that's one of the really special things about life. But, oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, so, I Go go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask Alex if you have any questions. Uh, no. 
Um, okay. Sorry. I, 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 you did a good job. I, it's the only thing I had questions about was, you know, 45 minutes ago and we'd have to read. So no, we're good. I think this is well, well clarified. No, well, and thank you again, Alex, for, for hosting us, because I really wanted to talk to especially uh, you, Wham, because I know you've had a lot of experience about this, and it's fascinating to hear all your uh, stories, and then you have a, you know, a lot of insight into, you know, the whole teaching relationship. And it's good, too, I think, because you've had some kind of skeevy experiences, because I think if you have, you know, someone who just goes and they, they just go to a couple of teachers and wow, then this third one is really great. And they have this wonderful experience and everyone's all, you know, super above board and stuff. I mean, that's great for them, but uh, a lot of us, like you say, have a little more uh, trying, have a little trial and error trying to get things going. So, right. Well, and it's, and it's changed, you know, I'm a teacher now too, but I'm both yeah. a Sufi teacher and, uh, and uh, as you know, I mean, because you've gone to my classes. I mean, you've done some. You've come to some of my talks, um, and and an academic teacher, and and so my experiences have really shaped how I teach, because I've had students get attached to me, mm -hmm. yeah. and and uh, even I mean, I'll never forget when I was working at the Naval Academy, and at some point I realized that one of my students had a crush on me. Mm -hmm. One of the midshipmen had a crush on me, which I thought was bizarre. <laughs> it was like, because it, maybe it was because, you know, I was I was teaching at the Naval Academy where they have to be very straight-laced and everything, and I would come in wearing, you know, goth clothes. <laughs> uh -huh. That's when I was a lot skinnier than I am now. And, uh, and, and, and I was very unusual, I think. Yeah. And, and, but he was, he was so cute. He was, yeah. I mean, he was just a, but I did not... You know, I did not um, manipulate it, or or I, but I, I, I recognized it though, and I guess I accepted it as a flattery, but um, I just I didn't, you know, I and I also allowed him. He he was so funny. He he came in at the the at my la the last office hour, and he and he he came in and he said, "I want to give you something," mm -hmm. and so he gave me a gift, and it was a sweet gift. It was not like really, yeah disgusting and then he just ran <laughs> he just oh. like, you know and I, and I just thought that's really sweet I'm gonna have to remember that this is really sweet <laughs> but, but you know I, I, I it didn't influence my grade yeah. his grade I mean it's like I, I'm very clear about those boundaries yeah. because of what's happened to me so it's well and it's good for him too because then you know you can just kind of hold the space for him to do whatever he's doing and you can keep it as a a sweet memory well you know, he, you know yeah. I, I, I can for, let for him be, and for you, you i know? can let you be a 19 year old exactly yeah <laughs> and just doing his thing and not you know doing something to mess him up but just let him go through his thing you know and, it, and, you, and, know. and you know it's okay he don't he can be embarrassed it's fine it's like whatever <laughs> But not do anything where it, you know, freak him out or make him feel weird or something or manipulate him. Just, oh, you yeah. know, let him do his thing. So He's a teenager. Or yeah. young, you know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's going to be it. But I want to thank you both so much. Thank you, Alex, for providing for providing uh, an opportunity for me to just talk and talk and talk. Oh, I appreciate it. I've been doing a podcast for over 10 years now. I love... I got to sit here and do nothing. This was perfect. I can't, I can't, oh, thank you both. 
I got like a week off. This is great. <laughs> oh, that was good. Just that I'd always, I'd always love to talk to Stephanie. Stephanie's always fun. She's. Oh no, I always love talking to you, and you always have all these weird stories, and but then you always know like all these great kind of esoteric concepts from various traditions and stuff. So I just. It's like a best of all possible worlds. So. Well, see, Stephanie, I consider you to be kind of a spiritual friend, far away. I've never oh, met yes. you. I've never met you, but I feel, I feel your, your, um, your affection for me, and and your acceptance of me, and that has been very helpful for me. Oh, yeah. oh, I can't imagine anything more wonderful because I've always just appreciated you so much and you've been very helpful for me sometimes if I have a, like a question and uh, you gave those Skype or uh, Zoom talks, uh, I guess it was last summer or whatever, it were really right. interesting. But yeah, no, I've, I always feel uh, your affection for me too. It's, a, it's really, it's a, one of the more special parts of life when you have someone that you have that type of connection with, so... Yeah, on Facebook. <laughs> I know, of all things. Isn't that bizarre? You know? Anyway, thank you, Alex, yet again. We'll, ha we'll have to talk about other things another time. Yeah, indeed. No. Thank you. Thank you both. And uh, I guess, where can they reach you? Do you have anybody have uh, public stuff you want to say? Uh, I can be reached. Uh, you can go to professorwham.com. And wham is W-H-A-M. ProfessorWham.com. I actually have a website up now that has contact information on it. Oh, great. As well as a listing of uh, my books and where you can get them and also various um, interviews I've done, including the previous interview I did with you, Alex. Oh, great. Glad to be on there. So there you go. And I believe Stephanie is on there, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just at the stephaniequick.home.blog is my blog. Ghost Dog is a mystery box, and I have uh, contact information on there, too, and blog posts and interviews and stuff, so people can contact me there. All right, perfect. Well, thank you again, yeah. and uh, everybody at home, uh, bye. <laughs> bye. See y'all later.